It doesn't make a lot of sense to invest your heart, invest your life in things that either nature can destroy by things getting old or where somebody can devalue it. So can nature devalue it or can people devalue it? But true riches is laying up treasures in heaven. It's anytime you invest in what God is doing through his kingdom. Now listen, I really believe that tithing to your church, that's important. But we should be saying, God, I want to change the world with my resources. There's that little voice in your head. When I'm making a little more money, then I'll give. We all want to feel financially secure, but God is our only true refuge from life's uncertainty. Today, we'll hear Pastor Daniel urge us that the time to be generous is now. You may never get that raise, but you can give what you have now. In your faithfulness, the Father provides. Now let's join Pastor Daniel in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, verse 8, for his continuing study entitled, The Issue of Power. But the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. Now, you'll notice in verse 8, it begins that if you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a province, don't marvel at the matter. So as you look under the sun, you're going to look around and you're going to see all sorts of things that just don't look right. Oppression, especially of people on, who are vulnerable, like people who are poor. Violent perversions of justice and righteousness. See, he's saying that if you look around under the sun, there's all sorts of things to see. And there's a reason why, because there's a higher official over a higher official, and there's a higher official still. See, he's saying that under the sun, there will always be oppressive bureaucracy. That's going to happen. Remember, Jesus said, the poor you'll always have with you, but me, I won't always be there when the woman lavished generosity on Jesus with the anointing oil for his burial. Now, listen, just because that there will always be oppressive bureaucracy in the world does not mean that we should be ambivalent to it. Actually, quite the contrary. God's kingdom breaking into the world, beginning with Jesus through his church until Jesus comes back, our job is to be a vehicle to restore God's peace back into the world. And as Christian people, as people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, who love God, we should be saying, I want to work for justice. I'm working against oppression. Why? Because when Jesus came, he came to bring the world back to God's intention. Thus, by bringing us back into relationship with God and back to relationship with ourselves and each other. And so God's people should always be working for issues of justice against oppression against unrighteousness. That is part of the work of what is called the church militant. Now, of course, we do that through nonviolence, love, and charity, as opposed to through guns and other things. But we need to be people who work for justice, who work to alleviate the easy way that people oppress people who are vulnerable, like people who are impoverished. These are big issues that Jesus, by the power of his Holy Spirit, has empowered us to deal with. And we shouldn't only be seeking governmental ways to do that. Oftentimes, I say that the reason we have problems with our government is because the church is letting go of what God has asked us to do. And we're hoping elected officials who don't know Jesus will do it. 
And really, we need to grab hold of the issues of justice, of unrighteousness, of perversions in our culture. And we need to work for the betterment. I'm grateful as the pastor here at Crossroads, we have people involved in all sorts of areas through our ministry, Love Now, our social compassion arm. I mean, there's people involved in so many different areas, whether it's justice for the unborn or justice for people in in sex trafficking or dealing with issues of poverty and all these different things. But we're just scratching the surface. There's so much more for us to do. But he's saying that, look, when you look under the sun, you're going to see oppressive bureaucracy. Now, Why, though? Why is there oppressive bureaucracy? Notice, moreover, the profit of the land is for all. Verse 9, and the king is served from the field. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. Verse 11, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their own eyes? Verse 12, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. See, brothers and sisters, what we realize is that riches can be a curse. Riches can be a curse. Now, because how we steward our finances is part of how we live our lives, we have to look at riches in the proper context. So the Bible does not say riches are bad. They can be a curse. See, the problem with wealth or resources is not the wealth or resources. It's our heart in regards to it. And in these verses, what we find is that there's three drawbacks to wealth. Notice, first, they cannot satisfy covetousness. Look what it says. He who loves silver, in verse 10, will not be satisfied with silver. Nor he who loves abundance with increase. See, the problem with resources is that it never cures a covetous heart. See, if our heart does not learn how to be content with the things God has given it, no amount of money will actually ever truly satisfy. So the problem with resources, it doesn't actually fix our heart problem. No matter how much we have, we will never, if we're covetous, be satisfied with it. Notice, second, in verse 11, when goods increase, They increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their own eyes? See, when you have wealth, it attracts a circle of dependence. See, one of the problems with amassing wealth is that everybody wants to be a part of it. You could see it. It happens all the time. There was a 30 for 30 special on ESPN about all these athletes who made all this money and how they all end up going bankrupt. And one of the main reasons people go bankrupt when they have a lot of wealth is all of a sudden all these people, aunts, uncles, friends, this or that, and all of a sudden everybody comes and they, they want to be on it. And then all of a sudden you feel obligated to take care of them. I moved up to Vancouver from the San Francisco Bay Area and I worked with some people who had done extraordinarily well for themselves. And it was amazing to watch the constant struggles and litigation that they found themselves in because of people who wanted to put their hand in their pocket. Wanted people to provide for them. All of a sudden, you're like, well, hey, why is so-and-so, why are you paying for their rent and this person's mortgage? And every time that they're in trouble, they come to you and all these things. And so one of the drawbacks of wealth, of course, is that it can attract a circle of dependence. And then in verse 12, notice what it says. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance 
of the rich will not permit him to sleep. Oftentimes, wealth disturbs one's peace. Oftentimes when you have money, you spend time up at night thinking about it. How am I going to preserve it? What's going to go on with this or that? So what we find here is that riches, although helpful in a way, can be a curse. They can hold us back from being who God wants us to be. It reminds us of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 19. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold of eternal life. Now, I think 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 19 is extraordinarily important for us. Why? Because as we've said here at Crossroads many times, all of us who are watching a service on the internet, on a computer. We are all rich in this present age. Compared to a global village of people, the fact that we have access to climate-controlled house, electricity in our house, a computer that has internet access that it can view a live stream of a church service, that puts us in the top 1% of earners in the world. And so when you think about that, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit, says, commend those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to be miserly, not to be holding it and keeping it for themselves, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. See, one of the issues that we have with our money, of course, is that it's very easy to trust the bottom line of our checkbook or our 401k or our savings account rather than trusting in the living God. And we saw that when the economy sputtered in 07. Some of the richest people in America, there was a man in Germany who walked in front of a train. He was in the top 100 richest people in the world. And the note he left was he was concerned about his financial kingdom as things were crashing down around them. See, the problem with having resources is that we have a tendency to trust our money as the source of our well-being and not in the living God who is the only true security. Notice what happens when you trust in the living God. It says, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they can be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. That's a beautiful section there in 1 Timothy 6, verse 18. Now, here's the thing. See, this is why I believe that God's design for giving based on His grace is such a big thing in the church. Because we live in a day and age where we are rich compared to the rest of the world, but we are not willing to share. We're not generous by design. We're not saying, wow, Lord, you've given me all this so that I can be rich in good works, that I can help. And really, see, for me as a pastor, sure, in order for Crossroads or any church to function, the people need to give. But it's not so much about the gift. It's about us trusting in God and who Jesus is inside of us as we give. Because every time we give, we're saying, you know, Lord, I trust you more than I trust the balance on my checkbook. I believe that you are the living God. And you've asked me to take care of this. So, Lord, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to trust you. And those of us who give with consistency on Son to the Lord, you can share those God stories. We all have them. 
I've said it many times, and I don't pat myself on the back. I was naive enough to when I first started to walk with the Lord, someone said, you should give a tenth of your income, a tithe, and then an offering. And I would read Malachi chapter 3, and I'd say, okay, if that's what God wants, if that's the standard, might as well do that. And I remember making $500 a month as an intern at a church, and my rent was $500. So I remember I'd get my, my $500 at the end of the month. The first thing I'd do is write that check so that I only had $450 in my account. And, and I'll be honest with you, I don't owe my former landlord not one penny. In every single way, God provided in a, a unique way. Uh, an extra job would come up or something would happen. See, when you commit your finances into the hands of the Lord, He takes care of them. He works it out. And you can say, Lord, I'm honoring you and I got this other bill coming up. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, Lord, what are we going to do about this? And the Lord provides and your faith grows because you're walking by faith. See, I think the reason we have so much stress over our finances in contemporary American culture is because we don't honor the Lord with our money. And we have absolutely no security with our money. Absolutely none. I want to share with you the best piece of financial advice I've ever heard. It blessed my socks off. I, I had a friend of mine, pastor, who said, someone told me this and it blessed me, so I'm going to share it with you. He says, you tie the tenth, you save a tenth, and you enjoy the rest. And I think that's very sound financial advice. You give the Lord his, you save, put it into reserves for a rainy day, a tenth, and you enjoy the rest. And you know what you find when you honor God and you prepare also for a rainy day or, or the not if it does happen, but the actually will happens? If you take care of your given to the Lord and you take care of reserves, then you enjoy the other 80%. And you know what you find with that when you enjoy the other 80%? Because you're taking care of what the things that are going to happen tomorrow and you've taken care of the Lord, you start to enjoy the other 80% differently. You start saying to yourself, you know what? I want to bless more people. I want to give more. Hey, do I really need that thing? Because I am thinking about how I honor the Lord and I am thinking about tomorrow. So I really want to, I, I want to challenge some of you to take that advice. Just say, hey, listen, I'm going to give the Lord his. I'm going to put into reserves because I know that things are going to happen tomorrow that I'm not prepared for. The car will break down. I will need new clothes. Something new is going to happen. And I'm going to enjoy the 80%. And watch how God honors that type of commitment to good stewardship. Watch how he does it because we don't want to live out the curse of riches, the anxiety, the hangers on, all the different things. See, we need to be good stewards. Now look at what happens in verse 13. It says this. It says, there is a severe evil which I have seen under the sun. Riches kept for their owner to his hurt. But those riches perish through misfortune. When he begets a son, there is nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came. And he shall take nothing from his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a severe evil. Just exactly as he came, so shall he go. And what profit has he who has labored for the wind? All his days he also eats in darkness and he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. Now, notice we have an example here of wealth loved and lost. That's what we find in these verses. 
He says in verse 13, there is a severe evil which I've seen under the sun, riches kept for their owner to his hurt. So you have this wealth acquired. And then in verse 14, but those riches perish through misfortune. So you have wealth gained, you have wealth lost. And when he begets a son, there is nothing in his hand. Now, these verses teach us a very simple truth. Before we saw that riches can be a curse, now we see that we need to be generous while you still can. Be generous while you still can. See, there's all sorts of stories of wealth gained, wealth lost, money lost and found again, all these different things. We need to learn how to be generous while we still can. Notice in verse 15, as he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came. And he shall take nothing from his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. See, under the sun, you come into the world just with your spirit, your body, your soul. And when you leave, none of that other stuff goes with you. So you have an opportunity today because you only live once, because your life impacts eternity. We like saying that here. It's not just YOLO, you only live once. It's YLI. Because your life impacts eternity. Be generous while you still can. We are not going to bring any of the toys out. And we get to enjoy them this side of eternity. But they're not going to go with us. And we should be looking. Lord, how can I be generous in this life? Lord, how can I invest in the work of the kingdom? Think about what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where... Thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, nor where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, Jesus is saying, listen, it doesn't make a lot of sense to invest your heart, invest your life in things that either nature can destroy by things getting old or where somebody can devalue it. So can nature devalue it or can people devalue it? But true riches is laying up treasures in heaven. It's anytime you invest in what God is doing through his kingdom. Now listen, I really believe that tithing to your church, that's important. But we should be saying, God, I want to change the world with my resources. I don't just want to build bigger barns. I'm not saying we shouldn't have toys or houses. That's not the point. The point is to make sure we keep everything in the proper order. That we say, God, I want to lay up my heart in heaven. I want to lay up treasures in heaven. Lord, when I make an investment in eternity for people, that is the best investment. I'm here to tell you, God's kingdom is never in a bear market. It's never down market for when you're investing in people, in what God is doing in the lives of people. See, so often we, like the person in the story, we have a job, and we have these things, and we start gaining all this, and then we start losing it, and we miss out on the opportunity to be generous. Like here at Crossroads, I mean, it's amazing how we as a church are seeking to invest more and more in the kingdom of God, but we can only do it as people give. And, it, and we're at a point now where our supply and what we're trying to do, they don't match up. So we have to say, okay, we have to cut some stuff back. We have to do some things a little bit differently. And what's amazing is our giving is actually up over last year. But in order for us to do all that God has asked us to do, we're saying, God, we need you to, to move on people's hearts to give the supply. 
in order for us to pay down our building debt or in order for us to do the deferred maintenance through our building fund. We're saying, God, we want people to have an eternal view because when we invest and when we are generous while we can be, while it's right now, you never feel bad after you've been generous. Like, oh yeah, I shouldn't have been generous that way. No one has ever felt that way. They're like, man, I feel good. I've blessed someone. I've taken care of someone. I've made an impact in the world because of my generosity as the Lord has led me. See, look at verse 16. It says, and this also is a severe evil. Just exactly as he came, so shall he go. And what profit has he who has labored for the wind all his days? He also eats in darkness. And he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. See, it ends kind of drearily for the person who lives purely for the trivial things of life. What profit? There's no profit. You're laboring for the wind. Now, notice how this chapter closes. Verse 18. Here is what I've seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the goods of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life which God gives him, for it is his heritage. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God, for he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life because God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. But notice what we're seeing here. We are exhorted, we are encouraged to live life God's way. To live life God's way. See, that's what, remember life's in the little things we've been saying? The way we speak, the way we administer our money. God is saying, look, I want you to live your life my way, the way that I have designed it. And that's what this closing is all about here. It's beautiful. It says, it's good and it's fitting for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun. All the days of his life which God gives him, for it is his heritage. See, it is God's legacy to you and to me to live our life his way and to enjoy the lives that God has given us. See, God is honored when we actually enjoy the life that he's given us. And in a culture that is exceedingly wealthy but seems not to have much enjoyment in life, there's so much stress and anxiety. God's saying, look, I want you to live my way. I want you to do things differently. I want you to, to swim upstream. I want you to go against the current. I want you to be different from other people. Jesus is real. No matter how we're helping others, we're only scratching the surface. We like to think that with more money, we could do more, but wealth can be an enormous stumbling block. We should be rich in good works and stewardship rather than being cursed by the burden of riches. Now is the time to be generous. Investing in people is an eternal view. It's good to enjoy our days, and we can do that when we live His way. 
Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Now, the next time you join us here on Jesus is Real Radio, the author of Ecclesiastes will speak about how life is unfulfilling. A man can have everything, wealth, honor, and family, and still be empty. We'll find that no amount of pleasure, accomplishment, money will fulfill the deepest needs of our souls. But when we're living life according to God's will, we will enjoy life with Him as the center of our experience. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled, You Only Live Once, next time. Until then, may God bless.